This is your man L Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts tonight. I got a little bit to talk about, so let's get right into it with the war on the street. And uh, it looks as though the stimulus talks, they're just going to keep continuing. Uh, they have not, Democrats and Republicans have not come to any uh, sort of agreement. Uh, Mitch McConnell is still being a thorn. It looks like and everybody's sides at this point because it looks like there's being some steps that are being taken some concessions and agreements being made but it looks like it seems like he's being the overwhelming voice for the republicans uh, because of his position i believe he's the minority leader or something like that fluxing that power kind of you know putting a crawl into all that but um like i said the democratic uh, controlled house and the republican ran senate uh, they keep beefing with each other when it comes to this. Uh, they will be uh, talks will be extended until even after Christmas. Now, according to the Department of Labor, over 850,000 Americans have recently applied for unemployment benefits. So, again, jobs are scarce. Jobs are hard to come by. Uh, many jobs are changing, you know, what their functions are, you know, what their hours are, putting people in a lot of different situations, of course, and. Uh, people are in need of some type of assistance. Again, 850,000 Americans have applied for unemployment benefits. Um, again, I believe within the first couple of weeks or so, when they originally added a $600 extra weekly, you had up to a million people on unemployment, So, or at least apply, applying for it. So again, still economic issues out here. Uh, Bernie Sanders and also Republican uh, Senator John Hawley from uh, sorry Missouri are pushing for a bill that will include another uh, $1,200 uh, but it looks as though um, everywhere that I've looked at so far they've contemplated doing 600 that's that seems to be a number they if there is to be checks given out that might be the number they would agree to but there's no real um, well to keep be honest with you uh, there looks like there will be no extra checks this time around. So um, that's something we have to deal with. Republican lawmakers, uh, part of what's holding them back from any type of agreement right now is that uh, they want to add um, funds to state, uh, state and local governments, uh, but they want to pretty much remove liabilities for corporations at this point in time uh, and have, you know, and take away their liabilities just in case, um, worker may get sick or may want to take action during this time uh but pretty much in layman's terms they're trying to or they want to put in legislation that prevents that from happening so pro-employer even at a time like this so that's what the republicans are thinking about that's why they don't really want to sign anything they want to be able to uh free corporations from covid related lawsuits that's it now, days before, a group of bipartisan uh, Congress members also met up, uh, and they seem to be making progress towards a $908 billion stimulus plan. This would include increases in unemployment, uh, up to about $300 per week, state and local funding, and business protection. Uh, but other plans, like I said, do include $600 personal checks, but those necessarily haven't been agreed upon. Um, as, and as far as I'm concerned, or what I know, from what I know, it's mostly because of the budget. Um, according to you know the government, they can't afford to do it. So that's what they're telling. That's what they're telling you. That's what they're telling us, and uh, that's what we're looking at right now. And this is a quote um, coming from, uh, I believe the, the the head of the Fed. Uh, no, actually the U.S. Treasury, uh, Munchen. He went on to say, by sending out checks, 
we're putting money into the economy for people. This will have the impact of creating demand, which will, uh, which will have the impact of creating jobs. We just want to get uh, get the people their jobs back. And this is him referring to why you know he doesn't want to, or why they have decided at least that they don't even necessarily want to deal with checks. They feel that um, you know they can do all that. They can still stimulate the economy by just pretty much you know again saving these corporations from lawsuits and giving the state and local governments. They don't want to give you an extra check. Again. I mean, it, it seems back. It seems like backwater. Um, I'm not too sure how not giving somebody an extra uh, check, whether it be 600 to the to the you know the 1,200 dollars, um, would lead to job creation because they can't afford to do anything. They have no money in their pocket. You know, how are they going to get a job? They have no money. They have nothing. You know, so uh, again, this is a lot of back talk. A level, a lot of well, double talk. In my uh, sorry, in my opinion, from what I can get from the, all this, I don't trust anything that these politicians are saying. I think they are sitting on tons of money because of these corporations, and the corporations are being very cheap right now. They're pretending that they can't do this and they don't want to do that. If you force their hand and you don't give them the protections, you know, from lawsuits, and they can't hire nobody, it's all bullshit. If they want to hire people, they will hire people. Um, again. Um, it just sucks that only a few markets are or sectors are really popping right now. That's just the dilemma that we live in with shutdowns and things being restricted. With that being said, I wanted to segue this into how some of this is affecting local businesses and more so jobs. Uh, the, the job market in many states will take several years for to recover. Now, for example, in Colorado, the stats, the state forecasted to add just 40,000 jobs, just above 40,000 jobs uh, next year, while job losses exceeded almost 150,000 this year. Nationwide, um, the rest. Are, uh, sorry, uh, nationwide, uh, just about uh, 245 jobs were added last month, compared to over 600,000 that were added in October. Now, many uh, sectors are, you know, again suffering. One of them being the restaurant um, business. For one, um, I know in Colorado they lost about one billion dollars of restaurant revenue, and uh, three and four. Uh, restaurants, I believe, in the state of Washington have been shut down. Uh, now, also businesses taking big hits nationwide are leisure and hospitality, of course, because people are not traveling as much. Um, they took a hit as well with over 71 jobs um, expected to be lost by the end of the year. Now, resort towns are also experiencing unemployment rates of up to 20 percent. Uh, recent stay-at-home orders in Washington state uh, basically led to, um, like I said, 35% of restaurants being shut down. Uh, also, looks like 100,000 uh, jobs lost over the course of, you know, the last few months of the year. Now, new city and county uh, rep, uh, sorry regulations do change uh, the hours of operation and other procedures of a store, including the capacity, so on and so forth. Now, in places like Arizona and states like Arizona, businesses in some of the other popular cities, the more populous cities in like Phoenix and Tucson are affected differently uh, than, let's say, smaller cities with inside the same uh, county. Uh, what I mean by that is cities like Tucson, probably Tempe as well, and Phoenix being the larger cities, they are facing a lot more of these regulations than maybe some of your smaller towns. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, uh, but you know because of their their vast counties, a lot of these small towns aren't really being affected. But towns in those bigger those bigger towns and those bigger cities are because of those restrictions uh for example what i mean by that is uh in those cities that i mentioned uh there are you know all these different regulations but like i said in those smaller towns those regulations are pretty much non-existent so not even every, every city is being taken um into consideration now some more examples of job loss we have in california where there was over eighty-nine thousand jobs uh that were lost um in just placer county um, the majority in hospitality and, of course, food service injuries. Uh, 
And some of the biggest uh, of the negative negative effects of COVID, at least in terms of businesses, have occurred in at least in this state in California has occurred in Chinatown, San Francisco, where 85 to 90 90 percent of businesses uh, saw a drop in business. And we know some of this has to do with, you know, the COVID regulations with people having to change their hours and all that. But a lot of it, unfortunately, um, has to do with some sort of uh, blame and racism and castigation of the Asian Americans. And it's a little unfortunate that we're seeing that. Um, and it's just sad. Um, part of it does have to do with some of the things that the president said um, and just what, you know, the media and just everything that was given to us in general. And I think um, a lot of us uh, took it and we ran with it and we became really ignorant about it. And it began to and it, it's negatively affected uh, this community and many other Asian communities uh, in these larger cities. So uh, there's another aspect to it all. So we're all you know, we all got to feel it in some way. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, these these things still um, ring true um, in terms of our, you know, our ignorance and our biasness um, and how it rings true, even even in modern times. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get off of this somber note. Like I said, I don't want to always spend too much time on my platform talking just about the news all the time. Well, especially this news because it's always about Corona or what's going on with Trump. And uh, what he's fighting right now, whatever. And of course, you know, as soon as Biden will take over, we'll have all the major news lines be about him. But I didn't want to get into what's going on with the stimulus and kind of more into the effects of what just uh, not just the virus itself, but the regulations and just uh, the impact on um, having to shut things down and, you know, everything has had on the jobs and also the economy. So I'm going to take a quick break, y'all. Like I said, get off of this somber stuff. And uh, when we come back, we'll get into some NFL. I got an update for you guys there. We got some news. We also got some Thursday night football to talk about as well. And then we're going to get into some college football. And then um, since this was the first night of NBA, the NBA season has officially started. Well, preseason, that is. So we'll talk a little bit about the NBA as well, get into some scores, get into some um, news there. Um, we kind of just talk about um, what to expect from this NBA season just a little bit. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. y'all let's get back into it of course like i said we have an nfl update here and uh some news coming out of arizona and it looks as though larry fitzgerald is on the mend uh the 37 year old wide receiver is uh finally returning to practice after his bout with covid uh he tested positive on thanksgiving and has missed arizona's last two games uh fritz says that he still has no taste or smell again guys y'all can sit there and say what you want about what's real and what's not and argue this and that and uh, but again, the symptoms all kind of be the, uh, tend to be the same. Everybody seems to check out on that. Annie Dalton uh, said the same thing about not having any taste or smell. Uh, I've recently um, not come in contact with somebody, but have recently been in contact, uh, meaning, you know, talking and emailing, so, so, forth, so on and so forth. Uh, people who have had this and they cooperate the same type of thing, no taste, no smell, and they're pretty much done even, you know, past the, you know, the terrible, like the really bad symptoms. They're past all that, but still have no taste or smell. So, again, we can sit there and talk about what's real, what's not, what we want to believe. But uh, people's, um, you know, pers- well, people's, you know, stories and testimonies, hey, you know, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm going to go with what they, they're telling me. Um, like I said, he's missed... Uh, he never missed more than three games in his entire career. Um, but uh, he's also lost nine pounds through the process of all this as well. So, again, I've heard about this as well, weight loss and all this. So, uh, guys, these symptoms are real. Uh, this virus is real. Is it killing everybody? No. Uh, but it is real, and it is something that can be prevented. Um, and, again, 
it just all depends about some well, people's you know health in general the immune system uh, obviously these are top athletes I figured if they were to get this it would be hard uh, for them to really perish because again they're you know finely tuned athletes I'm pretty sure a lot I mean the immune system is a little bit different you can kind of you can kind of get a good immune system without having to be rich and you know an athlete but again I figured hmm you know they're gonna be on top of that more than the average person so I can under, I can see a lot of oh well, some of them getting it or you know maybe even a lot of them would, would have gotten it or whatever but um, they're on top of their health they're on top of everything they have their you know their teams around them to do that their organization so they're, they're gonna get help so uh, for the average Joe's like you and I like I said I'm gonna keep stressing it keep your immune system up uh, exercise take care of your body Again, um, wear a mask, socially distance when you can. Uh, most importantly, wash your hands. If you're around multiple people in a indoor indoor setting, I'd wear a mask. If you're outside with some space between people, I wouldn't worry too much about a mask. Um, yeah, all the good stuff, and you know. But uh, let's move on. We got a uh, some Marshawn Lynch news. Apparently, uh, he has expressed some interest in returning to the league for a third time. This is a direct quote straight from him. He goes, if the situation is right, right, then I mean, it could happen. I've been asked the question by a couple of teams here recently. Like, are you ready? I'm ready if you're all Super Bowl ready. That's what it would take for me to come out to come and play again. It would have to be a guaranteed Super Bowl for me. Uh, so pretty much, you know, playoff bound teams. You got the Chiefs, Saints, uh, Packers, Steelers. Uh, Rams, you also got, um, yeah, all those teams are kind of included in that mix of teams that's in that, that playoff realm, possible Super Bowl. Uh, Pittsburgh is probably the team with the most need for running back at the, at the time. So we'll see how that goes as far as, the, you know, what do I feel about it? Hey, if he feels like he's ready to go, then go right ahead. Uh, he's probably just at this point, He's going to be a mercenary. He's going to be in that that rushing, that running back mix, of course. But um, I think this is just for this one last run, of course. And he's going to probably try to. Well, he's definitely going to go off into the sunset, win or lose. But uh, I think this is kind of smart on him. Uh, he's obviously still has a, a a taste for the game. He probably isn't. Uh, he knows he probably isn't where he would want to be to give it a full go for a full season. But he's smart. He says, "Look, I still got a little taste for it." Let me, you know, come in now. You kind of got a couple games left. Let me see what I can do. Let me see if I can help you get you over the hump for a Super Bowl. I think that's smart. I think that does a lot for his Hall of Fame, um, his Hall of Fame candidacy when that does come up. That's just my opinion. Uh, now, Lynch first retired in 2016, but will return a season after, uh, after being traded to the Raiders. He spent two years in Oakland, of course, before they moved to Vegas, before retiring again. Uh, he would then return in 2018, or sorry, 2019 for Seattle, and uh, right before the final home game, final game of the season, excuse me, and will score three touchdowns in the playoffs. So again, it's you know he's not done. Well, he wasn't done last time we saw him play. Again, time, you know, it go it passes us by. But I, I mean, I would imagine he's still relatively in shape and in good shape to play. Uh, the question is, does he have the gas? Does he have the stamina? You know. I think he probably has all that too. We already know he has a strength. So um, let's see if he has a little bit more. Let's see who wants to take a step and uh, reach out to him. All right, y'all. Let's move on to, to some Thursday night football. Uh, we have the Rams getting it done against the Patriots, twenty-four to three. Patriots continue to, to struggle. They're going through some things. They're, they're going through some growing pains. Six and seven is their current record. The Rams move on to nine and four, uh, trying to clinch a playoff spot. A division, so we'll see what happens with them as well. Uh, but for the Patriots, Cam Newton uh, will go nine to sixteen for one hundred and nineteen yards and a touchdown. Damian Harris would lead the, lead the way on the ground with fifty rushing yards. The kill Harry would have forty nine receiving yards. And in terms of defense, safety Adrian Phillips will be the team's leading tackler with ten total tackles. For the Rams, Jared Goff will go sixteen to thirty five. 
16 to 25, excuse me, for 137 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would throw a pick. He would have a touchdown on the ground, though. Cam Akers would be the team's leading rusher with 171 yards on the ground. Uh, Cooper Cup would have a receiving touchdown. And in terms of defense, uh, linebacker Kenny Young was in the mix with eight total tackles in the sack. He also had an INT. And Michael Brockers would have five total tackles and two sacks. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, we're going to go into some college football. We're going to preview what we got going on Saturday. But before we get to that, uh, we do have some news to go over. And uh, my first big story uh, is referring to Ohio State in the Big Ten. It looks as though, like I said a couple of days ago, I reported that their last game, I believe it was supposed to be with Wisconsin. Oh, no, Michigan, excuse me, um, was canceled due to COVID, um, COVID outbreaks, you know, in Michigan, right, on the campus. Well, at least amongst the football team, um, it was some, you know, it was, it, well, it was a possibility that because of the Big Ten's rules for this season, where you needed to play in six conference games, that Ohio State would have failed to qualify. Uh, because again, the next team up in their conference would have been Indiana, who had a record of six and one. However, that one loss did come to Ohio State, and I think that's why the Big Ten kind of, well, would probably made that decision to say, look. Um, Ohio State beat the best team in that division. Um, there's no stretch of imagination that they couldn't have beat Michigan with what Michigan has going on. So I think the committee said, look, well, you know, Ohio State has the best chance to go to the playoff, and they wanted to go with that. And I understand it because it wouldn't be fair for Ohio State to not have that extra game because, again, a lot of teams have been, you know, canceling these games or postponing these games not really giving the other team a chance to get it back or rescheduling that. So, again, it, it it's affected teams. And, again, it's a, it's going to affect another team I'm, I'm talking about in just a second when I get through the Big Ten. So I kind of understand Ohio State's position. Um, I understand the frustration about it from Indiana's perspective. Um, again, the conference rules did state five games, but it wasn't. it's not Ohio State's fault that Michigan – had outbreaks and just couldn't play, did not have the required number of scholarship athletes. You cannot blame that on Mich on uh, Ohio State. Um, what'll be interesting is, you know, if there's ever an investigation done or some type of whatever, um, and the seeing, you know, which of these players or how many players really did test positive and who didn't really, and to see if these teams just kind of just said, oh, well, a few people tested positive, let's just cancel this game. You know, as opposed to just saying, look, just this couple of people, you know, canceled. You know, we still have enough players. Let's see what we can do. I've, I'm probably certain there's a lot of teams that just kind of said, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's an excuse. I probably, I'm telling you, you know, especially with these tougher games like this Ohio State and Michigan game, I think, you know, this is just me, you know, theorizing. I think you give Jim Harbaugh another chance to get, him, to get his ass whooped on national TV by Ohio State. Again, another loss. That probably gets him fired. So, um, I'm I'm I hate to say it, but I think a lot of teams, if you if you were to go back and get some type of audit done, you'll figure out a lot of these teams probably use the situation. They had a lot of a, a lot of different games, but um, but again, um, I I understand where you know Indiana's coming from. They want a Big Ten title opportunity. Um, they had a they had the second best record in the conference for what it's worth, just six and one. I believe that the next best team coming out of the big 10, uh, the team that Ohio state will be facing in that championship game, I believe is going to be, uh, Northwestern Northwestern is five and two. So, um, you know, and I believe if, if for what it's worth, Ohio state has beat both of those teams. So Indiana and Northwestern. So it would have been fair. It would have, it's fair to say that, Ohio State is the best team in that conference. Um, albeit without having to play, well, albeit without the championship game just yet to prove it. But we'll see. I mean, I mean, again, when Ohio State beats up on on Northwestern, we'll all understand why. You know why that, that they were there. So um, again, I feel for Indiana. This was a chance for them to probably do something. They probably had a good matchup against Northwestern at this time. I'm not too sure with their star quarterback Michael Penix being out, uh, but. You got to go with the team that has the, the best shot at the playoff. And it would have been wrong to kind of do Ohio State like that because they actually have a chance at that playoff. They actually were undefeated. And they actually beat Indiana head up. So, you know, 
there's a couple factors there. But moving on, we have another example of these dodging these games. Uh, this time in the Pac-12, Washington cancels against Oregon. Uh, they end up slipping into the national, sorry, not the national title game. Ooh, nowhere near that. But the conference title game. Again, weaseled out of that. Another reason why I hate Washington. Uh, fuck the Huskies. I, um, I think they're playing a game. That's just my personal opinion. They ain't got nothing going for them. They've been getting beat by us past couple of years they don't want that ass but they don't want that fade i mean my thing is we lost two in a row give us a chance who knows what would have happened you know what i'm saying we lost to oregon state we lost to cal like we might have lost to you too but at least give us the chance don't go like no like no suckers i don't believe i don't believe in Washington's story i bet you come 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 conference championship game they'll be 100 percent ready to go and i hope whoever comes out of the south whether it be colorado usc smacks them because i don't like how they played that um, Washington's been a very inconsistent team this whole season. Uh, they really don't deserve a conference championship berth without seeing uh, the next best team in the conference, which would have been Oregon. So, um, of all the of all the things that I could have put asterisks on, uh, of all in, during the COVID era, the, the Pac-12 title is the very one that I'm putting it on. Especially if Washington wins it, I'm putting no. Specifically, if Washington wins it, I, if again, if 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 Buffalo makes it and beats them, or USC beats them and makes it, I said good, good job. But if Washington wins it, I'm putting the uh, I'm putting the asterisk because they they dodged us, they dodged Oregon, so I, I, I they can say what they want. Finally, one more piece of college football news before I get into these previews. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, Utah State hired a new head coach. Uh, the Utah State Aggies uh, tap in former. Arkansas State head coach uh, Blake Anderson uh, for their new job, well, for their open position. Um, the job at Arkansas State was his first head coaching job uh, pretty much after working as for many years as an offensive coordinator. Uh, at Arkansas State, he was able to lead the Red Wolves to a 51-37 record. Uh, I believe he was there for about uh, six seasons, I think. Yeah, six seasons. Uh, he would also have two conference championships in that time and also six ball appearances. Uh, he would, all, Like I said, he would also serve as an offensive coordinator during the first part of his career at four different schools, including North Carolina. And uh, at Arkansas State, he would turn them into a, a passing uh pretty much a passing you know school that predicate uh, sorry a team that predicated their offense pretty much on the pass uh they were fifth in passing uh 20 uh sorry 2017 they were 10th uh just last season um and a lot of his um a lot of his praise and a lot of his notoriety comes from pretty much um how he handled the situation with his wife who was dealing with uh cancer um and then taking her life and the college football community kind of rallied behind him and how he supported her and uh, was still able to support his team and coach his team and navigate them uh, to another successful season. So again, he's a good head coach from what I've seen. Again, he's taking the step up um, somewhat uh, again, going to the mountain, which, which is, you know, is a, is a, not a power five conference like the man guys, like the Pac-12 teams, SEC teams, but he's a school, he's a group of six, which is like the step right above, like right below, like teams like Cincinnati, BYU. Uh, so he'll get a, he'll, you know, he'll be competing against those, those level of guys a lot. Uh, but again, really good head coach. Offensively, we've seen what he can do uh, in terms of, you know, his passing offenses, offense, excuse me. Um, and also, you know, as a leader, he seems to be a good leader who can get the best out of his players. All right, y'all. So let's move on. Uh, we have a ton of action uh, coming up Saturday. This is rivalry week. Uh, so we're going to break down some of these rivalry games. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what they are, you know, who's leading the series, stuff like that. And then, of course, break the game down. So let's start off with uh, number 14, Northwestern, going at their in-state rival, Illinois. Um, number 14, Northwestern, comes into this one 5-0. Illinois is 2-4. This is their 114th meeting. It's called all the way back to, I want to say, like the late 1800s, something like that, early 1900s, something like that. Uh, the fight in Illini. Illinois lead the series 55 to 53, but Northwestern has won five straight. Northwestern has been probably the better performing team overall the past few years in terms of just overall record and in terms of recruiting a little bit as well. Uh, but Northwestern uh, comes into this one having already clinched the Big 12 West Division. So this one is just kind of like, I mean, it's not like a, 
it's not like a gimme game because you know it's a, it's a rivalry game it could go either way but for Northwestern everything's kind of already been sewn up they just kind of just need to handle business just to kind of go into this uh, with some more confidence going to their conference championship game against Ohio State against Ohio State with some more confidence let's move on we got two top 25 teams in the SEC going at each other Georgia versus Missouri this one isn't necessarily a rivalry game these teams, like I said, two of them, they're both in the top 25 with Georgia being at number nine, Missouri being at number 25, uh, really overachieving, overachieving this season with a record of five and three. Georgia comes into this one six and two. For Georgia, they would definitely look to pound the ball. Uh, they had over 333 yards last week uh, against South Carolina. Uh, Missouri has given up uh, a ton of yards. Uh, I believe they gave up over 500. Yeah, they gave up over 500 yards last week. Uh, in a win versus Arkansas, uh, but again, you can move the ball on them, you can score on them. So look for Georgia to kind of strike early. Uh, they do have a better quarterback under center now with JT Daniels, so they have a more balanced attack. Missouri offensively, offensively will be led by quarterback Connor uh, Bazelak. Uh, he has had multiple 300-yard games and four uh, four touchdowns so far. Uh, he had a oh, sorry he had he has multiple 300-yard uh, games. And he had a four touchdown game versus uh, LSU. Georgia, despite having the second-best defense in the conference, had a questionable secondary uh, that ranks about 101st in the nation. Uh, they gave in, uh, they given up 400 yards or more twice this season, so uh, that will be a weakness for the Bulldogs that I'm pretty sure a team like Missouri uh, can, um, can, you know, can do something about. However, I did see the most recent interview uh with Missouri's head coach, uh, I don't remember his last name right. I mean, his name right now. He's he's uh, new relatively to the team uh, coming in this season, uh, but he kind of mentioned kind of the struggles that they've had with teams like Georgia, uh, teams similar to Georgia in terms of how they uh, how they conduct their offenses, a lot of running and stuff like that. He he did mention that they had some difficulties with that, so it will be interesting to see what kind of what gives in this situation, whether it's uh, Missouri's. Um, rush defense or Georgia's pass defense they both seem to be a weakness on both of their teams which one shows up that's going to be the big question now Georgia is third in the country against the run uh, Mizzou is also 4-1 at home so again you know uh, and Mizzou plays a lot better when they're at home as well so it'll be an interesting matchup I believe um, I think for Georgia uh, this is a chance to kind of solidify why they're a top 10 team of course for Missouri uh, this is a chance to kind of to show people going into next year that they're nothing to be messed with still they they can they deserve some respect um, like I said I saw this recent interview with their head coach oh, man I wish I knew his name off the, off the top of my head but um, he's talking about some good things that they got going on campus right now they're getting all the boosters together uh, they're putting some money into the program they're going to be getting some new uh, athletic facilities so uh, this a, a win here would definitely put this uh, program in the right direction um, in terms of recruiting as well so they need a win like this it's probably going to be a uh, televised game um, if anything on the SEC network but uh, or if anything you know one of those uh, Saturday night Saturday afternoon matinee games on CBS so this, this is this is gonna be a important game for Missouri team um, that's pretty much struggled uh, since they've come to this conference in 20, uh, 2012 uh, that's their chance to probably I, th I believe uh, finish with a winning conference record um, in, a, in a minute too so um, that's going to be an intense one. This one, we have another SEC matchup here. This one's going to be a little easy. We got number Alabama matching up against Arkansas. Uh, one key matchup that I'm going to see, though, it, well, that I did see is Mac Jones uh, going up against Arkansas safeties Jalen Catalan and also Joe Foucher. Uh For Jones, he has a 79% completion percentage. And he's thrown for over 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns and no interceptions when he plays on the road. Uh, so you got to look into that. Uh, but for the safeties, Catalan, he's a Jim Thorpe Award award semifinalist, and the Jim Thorpe Award goes to the best defensive back slash safety in the nation. So he's a semifinalist for that, and he lead, well, he's actually third in the conference in total tackles, and he also leads the team in pass deflections with uh, seven and also interceptions with three. And this is just his fir uh, first full season. So again, you have a, another developing uh member of the backfield for uh, Arkansas. Uh, also, like I said, with Foucher, he started 12 games so far. Uh, actually, he started 12 games last year with Arkansas. So, again, another uh, another veteran 
in their in their secondary. Um, he's also fourth on the team in tackles with four, uh, 57. Excuse me. He also had a two interception game against Mississippi State. So they're going to be out there. They're going to be roaming. Um, let's see if they can make any plays against Mac Jones, who pretty much had his start, his first ever college game against Alabama last year, filling in for two of them. Uh, Alabama is third in the nation in scoring. They get about 49 points a game. Uh, it's going to be very difficult uh, for Arkansas, who has a point differential um, in terms of what they score and what they give up of four points. So uh, they'll typically average about 28 points, but they'll give up 33. So, uh, again, I... It's going to be hard for me to really say anything is a, is a trap game about this. Any elements of this is a trap game. But I like Alabama's chances. I think it should be an easy win. Uh, moving on, we got a Pac-12 showdown between Colorado, who is number 21 in the nation, against Utah, who is 1-2. and two. Uh, Colorado is undefeated at 4-0. and oh. This is known as the Rumble of the Rockies. The teams first met in 1903. Uh, Colorado leads the series 30-30. 32 to 31, uh, but Utah has won the last many 45 or 15, and they've actually won a lot more of the more uh, the more recent meetings as well. Uh, there's some uh, Pac-12 implications, like I said, I explained to this before. Uh, both Colorado and USC have the best record in that division, uh, and they very well could finish undefeated. And this could lead to some drama because it looks as though SC has already been tapped. Uh, to be the team to make it to the conference final. I do not think uh, the Buffaloes uh, have played USC. Yeah, they have not played each other. So um, that poses an issue. Uh, but again, if Colorado is able to win this game and USC loses, then Colorado will go on to the conference championship game to play Washington. So you do have that going for them. Uh, moving on, we have a number 13, Coastal Carolina, another undefeated team here going up against Troy, who is 9-3. Coastal Carolina, they come into this game 15th in the nation in uh, passing uh, yards. They uh, get actually sorry, rushing. Uh, they average about 227 yards per game. Of course, we've talked about C.J. Maribel. He's had back-to-back 200-yard rushing performances, so look out for him. Troy will be looking to their running game as well. Running back Kamari Vidal has led the team to a 5-0 record whenever he has nine carries or more at the backfield. And he also averages over eight yards in those wins. Now, Coastal Carolina has outscored their conference opponents 26 to 107, sorry, 267 to 107, an average of over 22 points a game. Now, um, number 13, Coastal Carolina, is the highest ranked opponent to ever come to Troy. And on defense, the Trojans will be lying, relying on help from Carlton uh, Marshall. He averages about eight tackles a game, which is the most in the FBS right now. They also lead the nation in defensive touchdowns uh, with four, and he also had one in three straight games. So uh, there are some things that Troy can do defensively. Of course, they're going to be leaning on their rushing attack as well. I honestly think that Coastal definitely has the edge in this one because they have the, the superior quarterback, in my opinion, Grayson McCall. Um, this could be a close game. You know, it's one of those near-the-end-of-the-year games They're on the road. Anything could kind of happen because just that's the nature of college football. But I, I like Coastal Carolina in this one. They've been riding really high. They've been finding ways to win every game, especially last week when they went up against another top 25 team in BYU. Uh, so I'm going to go. Um, I don't make a lot of picks here, but I'm going to go with Coastal Carolina and get this one done. Uh, moving on, we go to we go to the Big t- uh, the Big 12. Excuse me. We got number 22 Oklahoma State taking on Baylor. Oklahoma State comes into this one six and three. Baylor is two and six. Over the past few weeks, the Cowboys have failed to score more than twenty two points in three of their last four games. Uh, their last uh, last week, where they ended a loss at TCU. Uh, however, offensively, the Cowboys can look to wide receiver Tylen Wallace. Uh, he will still be a threat. Last week, he would have seven catches for ninety two yards and a touchdown. And despite having a capable QB, that being Baylor and Charlie Brewer, and also some capable receivers in R.J. Snead and Tyquan Thornton, uh, one of their biggest uh, deficiencies is that running game that only averages about 2.8 yards per attempt. With that being said, uh, Baylor has his weaknesses, uh, but Oklahoma has failed to put a complete game together in the last few weeks. So uh, this one can go either way. Uh, this one could be won by Baylor. Uh, even if they were to make multiple mistakes because we've seen, well, I've seen, maybe you guys have too, a lot of you guys probably have too, seen Oklahoma 
kind of struggle or uh, have another team struggle in front of them only to have them lose. Again, this happened to them last week. Um, the team that they were playing against uh, had multiple fumbles, uh, I think an interception as well, but Oklahoma State just couldn't get it done in the last quarter. So um, I feel like this one could go either way despite Oklahoma obviously Oklahoma State obviously being a favorite. Uh, let's move on. We're going to go to the Bay 10. We got number 16, uh, Iowa meeting up against Wisconsin. Iowa comes into this one 5-2. Wisconsin is 500 at 2-2. Two two. It's another Big 10 rivalry here. Wisconsin leads this series 48-43 and uh, have won the last four meetings. Uh, Wisconsin is first in the nation in total defense and only allows 12 points per game. Iowa is 14th in scoring defense. We're talking about two teams here that don't allow too, many, too much scoring. Um, I think this could go either way. This is a last possession game. I think both teams are equal in terms of the running game. I do. I will give the edge to Graham Mertz for Wisconsin in terms of the quarterback edge. So I feel this game could also go either way. I think it also could be very low scoring as well. Up next, we go to the ACC where we have a, a top 25 matchup. Number 17, UNC, goes up against number 10, Miami. Uh, UNC, a.k.a. North Carolina, comes into this one 7-3. Miami is 8-1. For the Tar Heels, they race second in the ACC in scoring with 41 points a game and also first in yards for play with 7.5. Now, sophomore quarterback Sam Howe leads the, leads the way for UNC offensively with a 68.8% completion percentage with over 3,000 yards, also 26 touchdowns. He also leads all of the core, uh, quarterbacks in the conference with completions of 30 yards or more. He has 25 of those. North Carolina has a balanced offense as well that racks up over 200 yards per game and have two running backs that have over 900 yards. Now, on defense, Miami will look to Jalen Phillips, who leads the conference in sacks. He has seven and a half. They're also fifth in the conference against the run. So, again, something that's got to give. Um, North Carolina comes in here averaging 200 yards a game. Obviously, Miami is a team that's supposed to be able to stop the run. They're third, uh, also third in the ACT, ACC in terms of scoring with 34 points. Uh, this could be a, a, a high-scoring game. I think both quarterbacks uh, for both teams are solid. They're able to lead their teams. The King, um, I give a little bit of a nod to him because he could do some some stuff with his legs. So he has a, a, a you know ability to score there. Uh, gives gives Miami a little bit of an extra fold there. Uh, but again, you know, North Carolina has two potent backs, and they have a really uh, they have a quarterback with a really good arm. So you have to get, you have to kind of give each, you know, they kind of, you know, we have to, you know, I guess it's almost perspective or kind of, I guess, uh, what's the word here? Uh, ah, I guess preference. Do you like a balance? Do you like a balanced approach? Do you like a more aired out style from Miami? Who's going to probably hit you up with the front seven as well, meaning the defensive line. So it's up on you. Uh, moving on, we go to the SEC. We go back to the SEC. We got number six, Florida, taking on LSU. Florida uh, is 8-1. LSU is 3-5. This one is an easy game, in my opinion. Um, I don't see where LSU can win this one. Uh, their secondary allows 300 yards per game, which is the worst in the SEC. Uh, we already know about Florida and what they do in terms of their passing offense. Kyle Trask, um, you know, Heisman um, candidate, multiple receivers that they can throw the ball to. Florida is rolling offensively. They score 42 points a game. There's nothing, there's nothing LSU can do can stop to stop that. The question is, does this game or does this season, the wrap up of this of this season, put Ed Orgeron, their head coach, on the hot seat? Moving on to the Pac-12, we have another matchup here in the, in the Pac-12 South. Number 15 USC takes on uh, UCLA. UCLA is undefeated, 4-0. UCLA comes into this one three and two. Now UCLA, sorry USC leads this series 50 to 32. Both teams have traded wins in the past two seasons. UCLA is 38th in total offense, 16th in the rush. Uh, USC comes in this one 43 and 43rd in offense, uh, but uh, they are 36th in total defense, so they kind of uh, flip with each other. Um, where UCLA can run a little bit better, uh, UCS, uh, sorry, USC ranks 16th in passing, so they pass the ball a little bit better. Both teams can be scored upon. Both teams you can uh, you know move the ball on. Uh, it's going to come down to who can make a couple stops throughout the game, possibly who can generate some turnovers. That's going to be the winner of this game. Seems to be a little bit evenly matched this year. 
this is reflective of a team that's of two teams that's you know traded wins and losses in a rivalry game. So uh, for USC, they do have a ch again Pac-12 implications. Uh, if they are able to pull out of this one, they are pretty much a shoe in, or they are in uh, to face Washington in the Pac-12 title game. But if they are, if they do go down to their rivals, uh, that opens the door for Colorado. Uh, finally, we have a Mountain West showdown between number 18 BYU and San Diego State. This one's a little bit of a minor rivalry, too, uh, with BYU leading the series 28-8. to uh, BYU comes into this game 9-1. San Diego is 4-3. San Diego State is 4-3. Uh, San Diego State is second in the country in total rush yards uh, with 1,426. Senior back Gray Bell leads the team with 569 of those yards. He also has six touchdowns and averages 5.9 yards per carry. So over a pretty much, uh, well, he pretty much gets you halfway there to a first down or just one carry. That's pretty much uh, what he does. The rushing game is also helped out by uh, Chance Bell and also Jordan Bird. Both backs have over 200 yards on the year. And Bird is also an asset on the special teams with over 360 return yards and a touchdown. A weakness for San Diego State is the passing attack with Jordan uh, Brook, quarterback uh, Jordan Brookshire. He only passed for 130 yards last week in a touchdown, which is completed 58% of his passes. Uh, he hasn't, uh, sorry, um, in just two games so far because he is filling in for somebody else who's been injured. Uh, he has not passed for over 50% in terms of his completion percentage. Now, Dax Milne is BYU's first 1,000-yard receiver since 2012. That was Cody Hoffman. And Robert, uh, sorry, running back Tyler Algier is a leading rusher for this BYU team. He's going to come in here with three. Uh, he has three straight 100-yard games. He averages, uh, sorry, 7.3 yards per carry. So he averages uh, almost a first down as well every time he touches the ball. So I, um, both teams run the ball pretty well. But we already know about BYU. I'm pretty sure you've heard me talk about Zach Wilson and the quarterback play there. They got some good receivers. Uh, so I got BYU in this one. I think it should be relatively easy. Uh, but, you know, you never know a rivalry games. That's just the way it goes. All right, y'all. I'm going to take another quick break. And when I get back, we'll be going over some NBA action, of course. We have one bit of news to go over. And then we'll be going over, it, over the scores of the first night of the preseason. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. So we are back, and uh, the only real news to talk about in the NBA other than James Harden and his drama, which we will talk about at some point, um, just him not wanting to play with Houston, is Paul George. Uh, most recently, he signed a Supermax deal, a Supermax extension with the Clippers. A uh, four-year extension worth $490 million. Uh, he will be getting 300, almost three, 35, sorry, $35.5 million guaranteed this season. Um, he says uh, in a quote recently, I owe them a trophy. This is what I owe this organization. This is a window that we're trying to capture. And my commitment uh, and my job is to bring a title here. So I, I like where he's coming from. I mean, he's saying all the right things. Uh, people have a, a tendency, at least even his teammates seem to have a tendency to kind of scoff at what he's saying, kind of push it aside. So I think we have some, I mean, I, I think in terms of, you know, um, the makeup of this team, we might still have some issues here. Um, just kind of looking at the quotes that I'm getting from PG, but then again, he's you know he's always saying something. He said something a couple of days ago about what Doc was doing to him in his coaching style. So um, I don't know all of the best things to take from what he's saying right now, but he seems to want to play. He seems to really want to be the best that he can do. Um, so we'll just have to see. 
Uh, so far in his career, Paul has averaged uh, over 20 points, I believe over eight rebounds, seven assists. Uh, he's also a member, or he was a member of the first team, first team All NBA in 2018. He's also a um, four-time member of the third team. He's also a member. He's also been a member of either the first team or second team All Defense four different times as well. So he can defend really well. He's a 20-point plus scorer. I believe over. I think last year he had over 20 points. So again. Um, you know, he's a die. He, I mean, when he wants to be or when he, you know, pushes himself and the opportunity presents itself, he is a great player. He's a top 10 player, top 15 or whatever you want to you want to have him. Uh, but he's not always like that. And, um, you know, they make fun of him a lot. I know just recently I, I heard of what they were talking about the Clippers on uh, Undisputed and uh, Shannon uh, was getting on him. He called him playoff P without the two E's. So, you know what that means. But. I think he gets a lot of a lot of hell, and I think sometimes he says things that that sound even when he's trying to say things that sound good. It's just the timing and the context in which he said it probably don't always hit right either. So um, we'll talk a little bit more, a little bit more about the Clippers in just a second because they were in action tonight. So let's move on. Let's get into the preseason action. Uh, first things first, we got the Magic getting it getting it done. Excuse me, against the Hawks, one sixteen to one twelve. Uh, for the Magic, uh, they were led by Nikola Vucevic. He would have eighteen points, eleven rebounds, and four assists. Dwayne Bacon would be the next leading scorer with fourteen points. Uh, also, Evan Fournier would have uh, thirteen points and two assists. For the Hawks, they were led by DeAndre Hunter. The second year four would have 18 points. You also got uh, Danilo Gallinari and John Collins helping out with 14 points each. Uh, Collins would have uh, nine rebounds to that. Gallinari would have four rebounds to his totals. Uh, moving on to this team stats, Orlando would shoot 45% from the field compared to just 37% from the, from Atlanta. The Hawks would edge uh, would have the edge in three throw sorry in three point percentage and also free throw percentage. Would also have a uh, edge in rebounds as well, 61 to 49. Would have 23 turnovers. So with all the things that they did right, they also had those few turnovers. I think in their case, the turnovers were the difference in this game. Let's move on. We're going to uh, keep it in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we got the Knicks taking out the Pistons 90, oh, 90 sorry, 90 to 84. Uh, for the Knicks, they were led by Ford R.J. Barrett, another second-year player here, 15 points from him, five rebounds, two assists. Julius Randle would have 11 points, eight rebounds, and six assists. And Nolan's Norrell and Alfred Payton would also add eight, uh, sorry, 10, 10 points to that. Uh, Noel would have eight rebounds, and Alfred Payton would have seven assists and six rebounds. For the Pistons, they were led by forward Sadiq Bey and also forward uh, Sfia Toslav, uh, Micah, Micah Leok. If I said that wrong, forgive me. I can't say that one. They both have 14 points. Derrick Rose would also help out with 10 points and two assists coming off the bench. For the team stats, New York would have 45 uh, would have a 45% uh, shooting uh, shooting from the field compared to just 32% from the Knicks. Both teams shot terribly from three uh, and from free throw percentage. Uh, as far as the Knicks are concerned, they also have the advantage in rebounds and assists with 23 to uh, 17 and also points in the paint. They outscored uh, the Pistons 52 to 30 there. Uh, moving on, we got a blowout uh, win uh, with the Rockets 125 to 104. Uh, so even without uh, James, they, they might be okay. I mean, again, it was against the Bulls. Uh, so uh, let's talk about the Rockets real quick. Uh, they were led by, in terms of scoring, uh, by center Bruno Caboclo. He would have 17 points and seven, seven rebounds coming off the bench. Eric Gordon would have 16 points and three assists. Gerald Green would have 16 points and five rebounds coming off the bench as well. DeMarcus Cousins would have 14 points, two assists, and five rebounds. Good night for the new addition. And John Wall, the other new addition, would have 13 points, nine assists, and five rebounds. For the Bulls, they were led by Kobe Wright. Uh, he would have 16 points and five rebounds. Zach Levine and Patrick Williams would have 14 points coming off the bench. And uh, actually, sorry, uh, yes, 14 points. And Laurie Markkinen would have 13 points to that as well as five rebounds. As far as the team stats are concerned, both teams slot, shot slightly above 40% from the field, but Houston uh, had the edge in threes, uh, 47 to 32%. So again, uh, Houston is going back to what they know. Uh, hopefully this year, with who they have, it'll work for them. Meaning the three-point shot, 
We'll see. Defensively, defensively, excuse me, the Rockets will force eight blocks, 11 steals, and force the Bulls into 20 turnovers. Again, a bad night for the Bulls. They can't keep their hands on the ball. And um, they didn't shoot all that particularly well either. So there you go. Moving on for the Battle of L.A. It starts off uh, with a whimper this year, 87-81 for the Lakers. Paul George led the way in this one, 10 points, 2 rebounds. Uh, Mifondo Cabengala and also Luke Kennard, they were both at 7 points each, so you know, could tell it was a struggle for the Clippers. I don't know what the deal was. Kawhi would just have 3 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists. Boy, uh, as far as the Lakers are concerned, Taylor Horton Tucker, 19 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. Kyle Kuzma would have 18 points, 5 assists, and 2 rebounds. And Montrez Harrell would have 13 points and 12 rebounds. So he had a double-double. Lakers seem to be uh, working pretty well. I, I don't know. I don't know about the Clippers right now. They look like they just might fall flat on their face this year. I don't know. Both teams shot 35% from the field, uh, but the Clippers will go 11 from 17 from the free throw line, so not very well. Not, not particularly good for them. The Clippers had the edge in blocks and rebounds, 44, sorry, 55 to 45, but had 25 turnovers. And Lakers also forced 12 steals and outscored the Clippers in the paint as well. Let's move on. Uh, the final game of the night, the Kings got well. The Kings got blown out by the Blazers. Uh, for the Kings, Buddy Hill relieved all scores uh, with 23 points. Harrison Barnes would have 16 points, four rebounds, and three assists. Uh, that's all you got from the Kings. And moving on to the Blazers, C.J. McCollum, Gary Trent Jr., and Harry Giles would have 18 points each. C.J. McCollum would have five assists to his totals. Gary Trent would have four rebounds and two assists. And Giles would have 14 rebounds. Carmelo would actually lead, uh, would be the leading scorer for Portland. He would have 24 points. He would also have four rebounds and two assists. And Derrick Jones Jr., as well as Dane, would have 15 points uh, as well. Uh, so as far as the NBA season is concerned, if I'm not mistaken, it will be breaking down into two halves. The first half and the second half. I think the first half will begin um, I think December the 30th. And then it'll be played all the way, I believe, until March. In the second half, you have going, into, I believe, until May, June. Uh, the, 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 the goal is to get, in, get done before or around the same time as the uh, as the Olympics, I believe, uh, that are going to be taking place this summer. They were postponed. Uh, they should be, you know, taking place this summer. NBA should be wrapped up before then. Um, they liked the play. Uh, they liked the, play, the concept of a play-in tournament, so they decided to expand it this year. Uh, they wanted it to include pretty much the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth seeds. Uh, there will be a playoff a series between them. Pretty much the seventh and tenth seed will go at each other. The eighth and the ninth will go at each other. It's like a double double elimination thing. So uh, the winner of the seven and ten game uh, pretty much faces the winner of the uh, the eight nine game, and. Um, the losers face off with each other one more time, and you know that's how you get your last couple of spots. That's pretty much what the NBA wants to do. Um, as far as uh, you know, scheduling goes and where the, the games will be at. Of course, there is no bubble right now. They will be at uh, their team's, you know, stadium or arenas. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, as far as I as I know, in terms of seating and capacities. Uh, there have been some teams to uh, kind of allow a few teams in, a few people in, so on and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are not, that don't really have any decisions right now. Uh, the biggest change, though, will be with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, to Canada, they have some really strict travel conditions or, you know, travel regulations and all that. Uh, so because of all that, uh, they will be playing in Florida uh, for this year. I believe in Tampa and that being, you know, the Raptors. So that'll be probably the most biggest change for anybody this year. Um, like I said, fans, uh, they, I mean, it's going to be all, I mean, I guess it's just depending on, you know, what happens when everything gets lifted in terms of these restrictions. So we just have to wait and see. All right, y'all, I'm going to call it a wrap for tonight. 
Um, as far as what I got going on in the future, the near future, uh, I am working on my third installment of Sports Stories. I'm working on uh, my favorite episode of Monday Night Raw. Like I said, you got The Undertaker, The Rock. I'll be talking about all those guys. Uh, so look out for that. If I do not have that out by the end of the weekend, meaning like Sunday night, look out for it. Um, in the beginning of the week, um, more than likely Monday night. So look out for that. Um, as far as what I have going on with the podcast, I will try to be back either tomorrow night or Sunday night just to kind of go over some college football, uh, some NFL action. If I come back tomorrow night, it will be a preview of what goes down Sunday. If I'm coming back Sunday night, then it will just be a recap of what happened in the NFL. Um, also, we have some NBA action to go over. Uh, and also, of course, college basketball is back on the scene. So we have a lot to get through. I have a lot of stuff to, to, to go over, a lot of notes to take. But it's what my my goal is to do. This is what I like to do. This is what I, how I spend my time. All right. In the meantime, I'm trying to teach myself accounting and about the stock market. So, yeah, I got a lot on my plate, y'all. So um, I'm going to take my time, but I'm going to be putting out the best quality stuff that I can. Um, if you can do me a favor, it would be great if you were to uh, subscribe to this or uh, share this. Also, I have a YouTube channel with the same name as well, Never Out of Bounds. Of course, you can follow and share that and subscribe to that. That'll help tremendously. Uh, make sure you uh, look at the videos and all that. Again, this is how the algorithms work, work and all that. Um, I'm just trying to make it work, y'all. So if you enjoy the content that I give you, uh, please let me know or just you know keep on watching like y'all been doing. Any suggestions that you might have? Uh, DM me, leave comments or whatever. I do have a Facebook page. We can leave suggestions, you know, write it on my wall or something. I don't know. Uh, anything you want, want sports, you know, sports wise, news wise. If there's a movie or a game you'd like to be reviewed, like to have reviewed or any type of music, albums, whatever, artists, you all do that here. So uh, anything that comes to your mind, let me know. And uh, when things come to my mind, I'm going to let y'all know. That's how it go. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll holler at you guys later. Fix it, smoke out with you.